listening to episode 258 of the Ruby on Rails podcast, and I'm your host, Brittany Martin. Jason Charns is a web developer, husband, and dad who's proud to call Memphis home. As a web developer actively involved in the Ruby community, he has a podcast with Chris Oliver called Remote Ruby, organizes Southeast Ruby, and helps co-organize Dev Memphis. In an ever-increasing complex world, simplicity is his obsession. Welcome to the show, Jason. Hey, thanks for having me. Absolutely. So listeners very well know how I like to start the show off, and that is, Jason, can you please tell us how you got into web development? Uh, it's like my favorite question in the world. <laughs> That's uh, awesome. <laughs> uh, so I, like many others uh, in our industry, kind of fell into it. I was, uh, music was my, like, my thing when I was growing up, and so as part of that like endeavor, I was working at a music store and it was like the dream job in high school. Uh, and I was like, Hey, we need a website. Um, I think I could probably like do that. And so I learned HTML, CSS and jQuery. This is like mid late two thousands. Uh, I got tired of not being able to like do anything server side. So started learning PHP. Uh, at the same time I switched my major at school to computer science. Uh, then I found Ruby Rails. Uh, I got my first programming job, dropped out of college, and here we are. So as the author of Using Ruby in 2019, why are you so proud to call yourself a Ruby developer? Hmm. So the language, it's, I guess it's kind of two-part for me. The first is that it was the first language I kind of like fell in love with. So I, uh, when I was trying to learn PHP, I liked that I was like doing more server-side stuff, but the language itself didn't seem to fit me. Uh, and then I was also learning Java at school. And so when I finally found Ruby, like it just, it clicked. And I feel like I was really able to ramp up my knowledge and programming through Ruby. So for that reason, like I'm still kind of in love with it. Like I still hold on to it for that. The other reason is just that, um, like my, my day job's in Ruby and I'm sure I could be productive in other languages, but I feel like it's still so easy for me to, um, for the most part, simple, like just simply put out what I want to do with code and it happens. Yeah. As someone who enjoys other languages and has kind of bet her career on Ruby, um, I completely agree with you. One thing I really enjoy about your article is just you really dissect, uh, you know, how Ruby's being used, the jobs that are available out there. And while you hear rumors that, you know, Ruby usage is going down, clearly the job market is still there. So i uh, huge fan of Ruby and, of course, wouldn't be the host of the show if it, that weren't true. <laughs> yeah, I, uh, I just still can't, like, seem to shake it. Like, I've tried uh, some other languages. Like, I'm really... A, intrigued by um like the complete opposite of ruby like functional statically typed languages but um like at the end of the day though like i get paid to write ruby so i just keep doing that and i love it awesome well um so this is hot off the presses you have a new project that i'd love to ask you some questions on so can you tell us the story behind runner b including what it is yes so it kind of, uh, it kind of exploded. I didn't like expect it to. So Runner B uh, is, for those who don't know, 
it's you go to runrb.io and you can execute Ruby code in the browser. And so the story behind it was uh, I'm trying to write some like beginner Ruby information, I guess like tutorials and stuff. And I was thinking like as someone who may be new to programming altogether, just not Ruby, what is like a stumbling block or like what is something that would discourage me from wanting to continue to learn? And I was like, well, if you're not like super tech savvy, installing Ruby is not necessarily the easiest thing. So I was like, uh, we used to have try Ruby and, you know, go to the uh, browser. Well, I guess try Ruby still exists. It's just in a different ownership. Now you type Ruby in the browser and execute. And so I essentially wanted that to go along with this material I'm writing. So I talked to one of my friends who is an absolute genius and really the one like who deserved all the credit for the project. Uh, his name is Will Glenn, and I was like, hey, what's the safest way to do this? And he was like, well, you could sandbox a Ruby server, or we could probably compile like an entire version of Ruby in a WebAssembly. And I was like, that sounds cool. Uh, that was Friday, a Friday morning at like 9.30, and by like 10 o'clock that night, he had taken Ruby. Um, he had to make a couple of changes, uh, but it's a full version of Ruby 2.6.0 without the standard library compiled into WebAssembly um, in that it's uh, the actual, what's the word I'm looking for? The actual runtime is there. So the way it works is when you type in your Ruby code and you hit run, uh, we actually have, you can see all the source code online. It's just a JavaScript file with a Ruby function that then takes your Ruby code runs it through that WebAssembly and returns the result. Um, and it's all done with like JavaScript promises and stuff. So you're mean to tell me that Ruby and JavaScript can work well together, is what uh, you're telling me. <laughs> maybe. Uh, <laughs> that is a strong statement, Jason. <laughs> it's fascinating. I I've had some questions like, you know, like, will this replace JavaScript? Or like, can we write like, you know, can you write Ruby to interact with the DOM? And the question is, I have no idea uh, because <laughs> I wasn't the one who did all the, I feel bad because I'm not the one that did all the WebAssembly work, but everybody like is attributing this project to me. Uh, but yeah, it's cool. There, like ever since I've heard about WebAssembly, I'm like, oh, that'd be cool to have Ruby in WebAssembly. And now that it's there, like I'd like to experiment with it more, see how it goes. Yeah. That makes a lot of sense. I was really excited to hear about the project because I used to be a bootcamp instructor and I currently have a friend who is learning Ruby, but she's on a Windows machine and she's she's going through a course right now and she's just had a really hard time installing Ruby in Windows and in order to do these short exercise assignments. And this just sounds like it would be really ideal for her in order to get her feet wet. So I think the project has a lot of use cases to it. So I'm, I'm just excited. and. Don't sell yourself short on the credit because while um, your partner did do a lot of the coding work, um, ideas have to come from somewhere and, you know, the marketing arm behind it. So I, I think everyone has an equal part in that project. Fair enough. I'm really, I'm really excited to hear, uh, like, your friend is the exact use case, right? Uh, mm -hmm. It's just, I don't want people to get discouraged trying to write Ruby. Uh, the thing that kind of is lacking right now is there's no standard library support. 
but like my kind of vision for it is we include the standard library and then maybe a couple of like gems that people use. Um, like maybe the, well, I guess did you mean is now part of standard library. It is. But there's, uh, there's another library like I saw on Reddit the other day that was like, you can take like uh, uh, an object instance and be like, what do I need to call to get this result? Uh, and I was like, that would be cool to have in there. So That would be very cool to have. And honestly, you know, as someone who writes Ruby day to day, just to have that as a tool uh, sitting next to me would not be a bad thing. So <laughs> right. that's awesome. All right, well, let's shift gears and talk about yet another project that you work on, Jason. So among the other things that you do, you run a conference in Nashville called Southeast Ruby. What have been the joys and challenges of running a conference, which I believe is on year four, correct? Uh, this is, so this is year three. Year three, um, okay. The first year, the challenges were, uh, what are we doing? Because it was just my wife and I running it. Like, what have we gotten ourselves into? Uh, the first year we lost, uh, we lost some money out of our own pocket, which my wife wasn't like thrilled about. Um, but that was really the only challenge. I mean, it was exhausting work, but there's more joy than challenge in the first year. Like we got done and I was like, man, like we talked about putting on a conference in January. And then by October, like we had a hundred people come to Nashville for Ruby. So that was cool. And then uh, this last year was just, we didn't lose any money, which was great. Uh, and the challenge, there really wasn't much challenge other than just, I mean, it's, it's hard work. There's a lot of like little details and I want it to be like the best experience for the people that come to it. So like, I try to like, I try to think of the little things, but that's kind of hard sometimes. But yeah, this year, the challenges we're trying to add in workshops uh, we haven't done that in the past, um, so and I want to find ways to make the conference more appealing to more Ruby developers. So, is it fun to go through the different proposals and decide what the programming is going to look like? Do you go in with I need to have a certain amount of talks about Ruby Core, I need to have a certain amount of talks about mental health or working environment? Or do you kind of just like look at the proposals and let that shape the conference for you? It's a little bit of both. So uh, I think this, so this last year, um, what, 20, we're in 2019 now. So in 2018 for that conference, uh, Ernie Miller became a co-organizer with me. And so we kind of set out to like, what what is like the ratio we want of air quotes, like soft talks versus technical talks? I don't remember the exact ratio, but we kind of then just said, okay, that's kind of our rule. But then we just went through all the proposals and just rated like yes, no, or maybe. And that left us with like 30 or 40 yeses. And we only had 10 spots. So we were like, okay, now we need to like go through these yeses. Like we didn't even get to maybes. We go through yeses and clean them out, uh, which is so hard. But then at that point, we're like, okay, how's our balance of like mental health or like career talks versus like technical talks? Yeah, one thing that um, Marty Hotwood from RailsConf was on a couple episodes ago, and one thing that he spoke about is that companies 
more and more are seeing this as an educational tool. And so they're sending their employees to conferences, expecting the employees to learn something. And so while a lot of talks are interesting and educational in some ways, they almost want them to return home and be like, I gained this new skill. So I'm not surprised to hear that you're looking to integrate workshops into your conference. For me, that would be appealing just because I learn best when I'm actually hands-on coding. So it's it, it's a cool mix in order to listen to these inspiring talks, but also get that hands-on code development. I'm really excited about the idea of workshops. So our, like, don't hold me to this, but like our plan right now is uh, we're usually a two-day conference. So I'm thinking about this year doing Thursday is a workshop day and Friday is a conference day. Oh, okay. So like my, my dream is that Thursday there's four workshops total, two running side by side in the morning and two side by side in the afternoon. And I'm hoping to get like that. And if you want to, if you're listening, you want to submit a workshop, like we have a CFP open for workshops, but like the thing, like some things I'm like interested in is like, it'd be cool if we had someone come in and like work through like three hours of testing for people that maybe want to like sharpen their testing skills or uh, if there's like a really good database workshop, like they can help people kind of move past just like active record and like crud. So I don't know what those will be yet, but those are like some of the ones I'm hoping will happen. And so that way people will leave the conference, go back to work and be like, Hey, you sent me this conference. I have X skills I picked up. I love that. Um, at the beginning of the work year this year, each person on my team chose a, a specific skill that they want to get better at. And the one that I chose was SQL is be because I am so reliant on active record and I want to be able to write raw SQL. And so to have a workshop where I learn how to interact directly with the database and get really comfortable with SQL, just it, it does sound really appealing. Yeah. So that's pretty much like... I try to think of the conference as like what will like most people want, but there's a big part of it that's like, what would I want out of it? Yes. And like, that's where like I came up with those. It's like, if I was going to go to like a uh, conference with workshops, like those are a couple that I would really like to sit in on. So, yeah. So a big reason that I wanted to bring you onto the podcast today is I'm a fan of your own podcast, Remote Ruby. So listeners, if you haven't started listening to Remote Ruby, Definitely uh, find it in your podcatcher of choice. I highly recommend listening to it. And I was even on a, a guest recently, so look up my episode. I, I Hopefully you'll enjoy it. But one topic that you speak very frankly about is mental health, since you have generalized anxiety disorder. Could you give the listeners some insight into your relationship with medications and how this has affected your life? Sure. Um, I grew up with anxiety. I didn't know... I didn't, I guess, realize I had it until 2011. I would have been like 21, 22 years old then. Uh, 23, it doesn't matter. Um, I started seeing a, well, first I tried to like go to a psychiatrist. Um, but I don't know if this is everywhere, but kind of, one of the problems with like psychiatrists in Memphis is there's so few of them and so many people that need to see them that it's hard to get in. So uh, even when you do get in, like sometimes I don't know that you fully get heard. So 
like the first way I ever tried to deal with my anxiety, like once I was aware of it, was trying to get on medication. Uh, but I just got on the wrong medication, and like it made me uh, an unpleasant person. So I was like, no, that's not going to work. And so I started seeing a counselor, and that kind of like changed my life. Um, I then, so that's probably still 2011, 2012. I got on a medication, uh, Lexapro, and I was on that until like December of this last year, which is the, what we talked about in that episode you're referencing is I recently came off that and it like has been really difficult. (laughs) Uh, but yeah, I really like to talk about mental health because I think, I think there's a lot more people that deal with different type of I don't use the word issues, but just different type of mental health like scenarios that maybe don't feel super comfortable talking about it or maybe like me who are like struggling with it, not even realizing it. Uh, so, you know, that's kind of the reason I'm so passionate to talk about it and try to be honest. And cause like, I don't know, life, life is good, but life also sucks sometimes. And it's nice to know that other people have been there with you. Absolutely. And, you know, uh, modern day developers are expected to not only code at work, but, you know, be interested in open source projects at night, go and possibly run conferences and just write blog posts. There's a lot of pressure. And, you know, I am not quite in the same boat as you, but I often have problems sleeping. And so I take medication in order to sleep. And, you know, sometimes that works and sometimes it doesn't. And, you know, it can be really, it's, it's a handful to go into work and, you know, have a bunch of tickets that I need to work on and I haven't slept at all the night before. Mm. And that definitely affects my work. And so I think it is important to talk about mental health. I I don't think it, I think it's something that affects everybody. And I really appreciate your honest take on it. Uh, I I can't agree more. Like, yeah, like mental health is like, it's not just limited to like anxiety. Like, um, it's such a broad topic. Like my little like world is just like a little slice of like different types of mental health problems. Um, Absolutely. And I, I've shared this on probably about a year ago on the podcast, but my coworker and I built an art installation called contextual camouflage. And it's basically a place where you can go and report how mental, um, mental illness or mental health, affects you and it it basically creates this puzzle piece in real time geolocated to you on this map of your locality and you know we build it very proudly in rails and it uses action cable in order to keep that real-time movement and we debuted it during this very busy gallery crawl event that we have and it's just so cool to see um, people willing to to provide their anonymous information we had storytellers um, out front who talked about their PTSD, their bipolar disorders, um, anxiety, depression. It was just, it was really moving. And I think it's great that the conversation is getting more out there. It's great to see specific tracks and conferences to talk about it. And I'm just really glad that we're starting to, you know, really introduce that into the conversation and not see it as a reason not to hire someone or to contract work with them or even to partner with them on an open source project. Yeah. 
A, I love that project you did. I think we talked about that on our podcast and like, uh, I talked to Chris about it afterwards. I was like, that's just so cool. Um, that is kind of the thing that it hasn't been a problem for me so far, but like when I started trying to be honest about it, I was like, is this going to like cost me career opportunities? Mm -hmm. And like, I think maybe at certain places it might, um, if I have the option to not work there, then probably don't want to work there. You know, like, right. Um, some people don't have that luxury. Uh, but for me so far, it's been all right. The, I don't mean to like go too far off kind of tangent here, but like part of the reason, like I do speak out a lot about it is because I kind of feel that like, the internet and social media is like not necessarily rewired, but it's given us an opportunity to like put forth the best things that happened in our life. Mm -hmm. And then like, for me personally, like that makes me like jealous and makes me think that like my life sucks compared to everyone else's. Oh yeah. There's an actual name for it. I can't recall it, but yes, it, it just putting everything in that positive light where you think everybody's out and having fun and but except you. Yeah. It's rough. And so like it tweeted the other day about how like my life was better without Facebook and Instagram. Uh, and like, that's the reason why like my wife has those accounts, like doesn't seem to affect her, but like for me it did. And so that's why like, on Twitter, I try to be like pretty honest and like on stuff like this because, uh, I know that like, I wish more people were honest about, Hey, life's not always awesome. And so that's like, that's another, that's why I talk about mental health too, is cause if it's possible that if I would have talked to someone sooner, my life would have changed a lot earlier. No, I completely agree with you. And I think that's so awesome. Thank you for sharing that. And uh, listeners, we have mentioned so many awesome projects that Jason is involved with, which we will definitely link up in the show notes. Jason is, as he mentioned, is very active on Twitter, and he shares a lot of really great content. So, Jason, how can our listeners follow you? Uh, I am at JM Charns, uh, M as in Michael, on Twitter, and then I, I sometimes blog at JasonCharns.com. Yep, and you can listen to him on the Remote Ruby podcast. Do you have anything else that you would like to plug? Um, I think, I think that's it. Uh, I'll plug where I work. I work at Podia, P-O-D-I-A. And if you've ever wanted to like make an online course or sell digital content, that is our entire product. So you should check it out. And I think that's it. Great. Well, thank you so much for joining me on the show today, Jason. A special reminder to everyone to be compassionate about your fellow developers around you.